Hello and welcome to The Breakdown, your short, sweet, and digestible guide to public policy issues facing the country today. I'm your host, Brian Phillips, and I'm with the Texas Public Policy Foundation. For more information on today's topic and just about any other issue that you might read or tweet or post or or hear about on the news, just check us out online at texaspolicy.com. Today we're breaking down an issue that is near and dear to everyone's heart, uh, even if they don't even know it, and that is tech policy. Did you use your phone today? Did you use your phone in the last 10 seconds? Uh, Have you been on social media platforms in the last 10 minutes? Well, it's more ubiquitous and less known than either tax or education policy uh, is tech policy. So we we do want to talk about that. And today, to help us break it down, is the Honorable Zach Whiting. Zach Whiting is honorable because he's a former state senator in Iowa, which we'll talk to him about a little bit, about why he's now in Texas. But uh, currently, Zach is the Senior Fellow of Technology Policy at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Prior to joining the foundation, as I mentioned, he was a state senator in his native state of Iowa. And in the Senate, Zach championed conservative values, protected personal liberties, worked to reduce the size and scope of government. And he was an assistant majority leader, chair of the Labor and Business Relations Committee, and vice chair of the Administrative Rules and Rules, uh, excuse me, Administrative Rules Review Committee. So welcome to the show, Zach. Well, thanks so much for having me, Brian. So uh, first of all, I just want to ask, like so many other people, you know, why did you decide to, because you left in the, uh, you know, after your term, uh, you came directly, you know, from being a state senator uh, to Texas to to work on these issues. Why did you decide to leave Iowa and leave politics to, to jump into these issues? Well, it's a great question. And I was not fleeing a place like California. Iowa is a a state that I love. I really loved my time uh, in the Senate, the relationships I built. Uh, We were able to raise our kids uh, in in my hometown. Um, But we really, uh, when I realized I wasn't going to run for reelection because it wasn't a good fit for our family, uh, we decided to look elsewhere. And we found a great opportunity here at TPPF and in the Austin area. Austin's a little quirky, uh, to say the least, but, but Texas weird. Itself, we use the word weird. <laughs> okay. Weird. Yes. Excuse me. I keep Austin weird, I believe, but, um, you know, Texas, uh, more broadly, it's a great state. It's built by great people, great values. Uh, and I see a bright future for Texas. And so here we've, you know, we found a great place to raise our family, great community, uh, great schools for our kids, a great church. Uh, we really enjoy the climate uh, coming from uh, such a cold and, and snowy area. So, yeah, just really, really glad to be here, really fortunate to uh, to be at TPPF and uh, very excited for this for this new project. Yeah, we uh, you're, you're definitely not going to I was going to say you're definitely not going to miss the winters up there for sure. But uh, welcome to the heat. Um, it's a dry heat or actually very humid, but anyway, getting to our, getting to our, um, issue of the day, um, you know, usually with our, our guests that we have, um, I'm usually trying to promote, you know, specifically their social media, but it turns out, you know, on their Twitter page or, you know, whatever, so you can get, you know, more information from you or, or connect with you, but you actually don't have any social media. You have nothing to promote. Is there a specific reason for that? I mean, I'm sure we're going to get into some of that uh, with this discussion, but just kind of throwing it out there from the very beginning, why don't you have uh, any social media? Besides marrying my wife, uh, the greatest decision that I ever made. Um, you know, when you're when you're in politics, I uh, sadly I found I got more traffic to my Facebook page 
than to my website by a significant factor. And so um, there are ways that, you know, social media and other, you know, types of things like this can can connect us. Um, But frankly, there's so much, you know, division, hate, anger, uh, and not enough good stuff on there that I, I personally decided to to get off. And uh, I can't even tell you how much uh, my stress level has gone down. And I've read articles um, from, uh, you know, psychologists and digital ethicists that talk about that. Taking a break or getting off of social media has benefits for your health. And uh, I can attest to that. And I'm sure that that will lead into some of the uh, reasons for particular policies that you're going to be looking at and, and pursuing. Um, but uh, you don't feel like, you know, people say they, they need to be connected all the time or they need to know what's going on. You don't feel a situation, you don't feel a sense of, of not being connected to what's going on in the world because you don't have Facebook or, or Twitter or TikTok or whatever the whatever everybody's using today. No, I uh, probably have the least FOMO of uh, anybody in the world. Um, I, I joked, um, I did an interview when I announced my candidacy uh, all the way back in 2016. And uh, the uh, the editor who was you know writing the article was like, has this always, you know, what you wanted? Is this what you've worked towards? And I said, no, frankly, I'd be just as happy uh, living in the middle of nowhere in a cabin in Alaska hunting moose. And he was utterly surprised by that. Um, I, I love uh, my friends. I love my family. I love the ability to connect with them, but I don't find social media the way that I need to do that. Phone calls, you know, texts, um, mm-hmm. occasionally emails, all of that still allows me uh, to connect. Um, and it, it takes out that, you know, that just sort of that sort of white noise uh, in, in the background and allows me to focus on those relationships I really value rather than on you know, likes and how many friends do I have? Right. So other than, than to just, you know, the quality of life issues, um, you know, that you find in, you know, not engaging in social media, there, there really is, um, you know, policy that needs to be addressed around a lot of issues dealing with people's usage of digital media, um, you know, everything from privacy issues to all the stuff, um, you know, the usage issues and, and all of that. Um, so can you kind of illustrate for us and kind of in a nutshell, you know, why is it that everybody really should care about the policy side uh, of these issues? Not just the, you know, how much do you use it and is it good or bad for you? But but really, you know, how, how involved government should be in setting policy around digital media um, and maybe social media and things like that. Yeah, well, I think I think the policy question is important, and I don't want to not answer the question. But I I think just stepping back to to technology, sort of writ large, we should care about it because everything we do is 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 touched by technology, and it's not just the devices and the social media and stuff like that. It's you know you think about how technology has developed over time. It's 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 taking these sort of scientific and engineering principles and putting them together for practical uses the fire, you know, fire, wheels, wagons, airplanes, and the like. Now we have robotic bartenders and stuff. So technology uh, advances and there's there's good and, and bad that can come from that. As we talked about technology, it can connect us in medicine. It heals us. Uh, it transports us, um, whether in our car, our airplane, our boat, apparently our, uh, our flying cars and flying taxis uh, in the future. But then there's some aspects of technology uh, that are bad and dangerous. You've got, you know, you've got surveillance and bulk data collection and robotics and artificial intelligence and things like that. They really 
you know, they present a lot of challenges to to our privacy, to our security, to, to human dignity. And and uh, even a book I read uh, by uh, Matthew Crawford, uh, it's uh, autom- automatic uh, automation and autonomous vehicles threaten our ability to, you know, to, to drive on our own. So mm-hmm. there's good and there's bad. And so we need to figure out as a matter of public policy, how do we pursue the good and, and work to prevent the bad? And so, right. and, oh, sorry. Yeah. So, so that's kind of what I want to get into. I mean, that's a lot to handle. I mean, you've outlined, you know, I mean, you really outlined how technology touches every bit of our lives. I mean, it'd be, it'd be tough to, to, you know, go, you know, more than a, more than a day or so without doing something that involved uh, technology, whether it's our you know entertainment or like you said, you know, from our education to transportation, all of that. So how do you go about sitting down and tackling various uh, aspects or areas of, of technology. Do you, do you start with the bad stuff? Do you start with the harmful things and say, uh, you know, how do we fix this so that, you know, these areas are not as harmful? What's, what, what's your, you know, sort of 30,000 foot approach to developing policy? Yeah. So for me, um, you know, as I think about it, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a, a small, government conservative. That's the, that's, um, you know, those are my values. That's how I operated when I was in the state Senate. And so you sort of take a sort of a political philosophy or political values view on that. We have on the right, this sort of tension that's emerging, you know, between the sort of libertarian, let's have an unfettered market approach to things. And then kind of a what I would call a movement conservative approach where you place a moral lens on things. Are they right and wrong, helpful and harmful and the like? And so what I really want to see is a, ideally you can find a way to, I think, blend those two that, that aren't, you know, in necessarily conflict uh, with each other. And you have this sort of free market approach where you have a, a light touch regulatory environment because you want technological innovation to flourish. It's all of those things that I talked about from fire until uh, until now with robotic bartenders, technology technology and technological innovation is is good, comma most of the time, and at the same time, you know, I'm a former policymaker, I'm a dad, I, I place a moral lens on things. So within that technological innovation, we have to look: are there things in technological development that that threaten individuals, their privacy, their security, their dignity, and their autonomy. And you, it's kind of a chicken and egg thing. Do you, do you regulate uh, an industry or a particular technology to say, these are the safe bounds within you with, within which you work? Or do you say, um, develop, grow and uh, what as you want. And then we're going to come in and kind of, you know, regulate it on the backside. Those are the two, you know, those are the two things I Mm -hmm. think for policymakers that we struggle with. I want to focus on the good and and allow uh, companies and individuals to innovate. But at the same time, we do have to recognize that there are harms there. And I don't think we should shy away as policymakers from being willing to address those when they pop up. We're talking to the Honorable Zach Whiting, who's a senior fellow in technology policy at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, former state senator from a great state of Iowa, now here with us in Texas. Um, so I want to jump in and, and talk a little bit about the specifics of those policies. So you kind of gave us your approach, um, which is kind of, you know, on the one hand, we definitely want to enhance 
uh, you know, the good things that technology can provide, but also protect individuals from being harmed, um, you know, privacy issues, uh, like you said, data collection, all those kinds of things. So I want to get into a little uh, more specific, more granular on some of the things that you're looking at. And uh, TPPF has announced this initiative just recently and, you know, put out a press release and you guys have a bit of an agenda, uh, sort of a general uh, policy things that you guys are looking at. Um, one of those is passing a digital bill of rights. Um, now those are those 10, you know, is that bill of rights, you know, 10 amendments, like the original bill of rights, do you know how many you're, you're dealing with? Are there specific ones, uh, kind of like a package of, of, of rights, digital rights. Can you, can you go through with that, uh, with us for just a little bit? Sure. Um, it's the simplest way to explain it is, uh, it's a data privacy law. And so it focuses on data privacy, but people call it a digital bill of rights, I think to, to emphasize the importance of it. And so, uh, it's not, you know, 10, like our, uh, our (laughs) bill of rights in our constitution, other people, um, our friend Peter Rex has talked about an AI Magna Carta. And again, it's just to emphasize the importance. Those documents have meaning, uh, to uh, to people in the United States and to the political class, so that's that's why that term is used. Okay, so but, tell us what rights it would protect. Yeah, so uh, among those things, it's about giving individuals, you know, more control over their data, establishing those sort of consumer rights. It's preventing uh, entities that collect data from discriminating against people uh, that that exercise those rights. It's things like um, clarifying whether Uh, an individual has to opt out of their data being collected or whether or not they have to opt in before an entity can collect their data. And uh, so, yeah, it's really about, um, again, giving individuals more control over their data and then placing boundaries on what data can be collected and held and then how the entities uh, that collect the data can use the data. And then, if, I mean, are there specific penalties for, for companies that don't follow these rules? I mean, do we throw people in jail for violating your, your, your rights or how would, how would this kind of thing be enforced? Yeah, we wouldn't, we wouldn't throw uh, people in jail. There's, there's a, there's a couple uh, different approaches, you know, you could take to enforce this kind of thing is you could allow a private right of action by an individual. Uh, so a private right of action is, you know, a civil lawsuit you sue uh, to say you misused my data. Um, there's also enforcement actions, you know, by the attorney general's office uh, to say, you know, perhaps you you put some kind of, you know, civil fine or penalty in, in, in there. Um, pick a number X dollars for each violation and uh, the attorney general can can enforce it that way. So those, I think, are, are the two sort of better and perhaps more common ways uh, right. that that states act in this space rather than these sort of criminal penalties. And one of the, one, another issue that you work on, which is similar and uh, somewhat related, is, is the consumer protection side, uh, specifically dealing with social media. Talk a little bit about, about what that reform would look like. Yeah, so states have um, uh, deceptive trade practice laws and kind of more generally consumer protection laws. And those are ways to protect consumers from deceptive trade practices by companies uh, and the like. And so when you look at social media specifically, and this is a, this is a big reason why I'm not on it and why I don't want my kids to, to ever use it, but you, you, you read, you know, the data and news articles, there's news articles every day with this sort of litany 
of social harms. People are more isolated, more lonely. There's mental health problems. There's violence and criminal activity. There's, you know, people were using Snapchat to organize these uh, these sort of flash criminal mobs to go break into uh, stores uh, on Rodeo Drive in Beverly Hills. Uh, you know, cyberbullying, all this kind of stuff. So the states have the power uh, under their police powers to regulate health, safety, welfare, and morals of their people. So I think Texas should take a look at enhancing their consumer protection laws to protect uh, minors specifically online and on social media. You think about other areas where states act and minors are too young to vote, to join the military, to enter into a contract, to smoke or drink alcohol. Uh, And so you can look at possibly social media being uh, on par with those kinds of harms. And so you could, you know, go anywhere from one end of the sort of one not extreme, but one end of the spectrum to completely ban the use of social media by children, just like you can't smoke or drink. Uh, you could allow, um, you know, parents to consent to their use of social media. You can put filtering, uh, you know, uh, software into place through filtering laws. Those are all ways that you can protect, uh, you know, kids online. But there's there's a lot of bad stuff out there. And I think states are are, are looking for ways to act to, to protect folks. So two criticisms I want you to, to answer while we still have a few minutes uh, left. Yeah. The first one is, you know, the left might say, uh, that this is an overreaction that, you know, comparing, you know, have, you're having a Facebook account to owning a gun or consuming alcohol or, you know, any of those things is, is just a, is a, is a, is an overreaction. And that in fact, you know, these, these platforms can be used responsibly. In fact, you know, we have numerous examples of, 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 areas where they have helped get the message out about, you know, things that are going wrong in society or even in other countries, right? Like Arab Spring and all this kind of stuff. Um, that this is simply an overreaction by people who are just too conservative. Uh, what's your response to that? Yeah. So, you know, I think we kind of touched on this just a little bit earlier is, you know, what sort of, you know, what sort of lens do you, do you want to place on that? And, and uh, I don't think it's an overreaction. I think that, you know, while there are, uh, things that, you know, can be good about, you know, like social media, just for instance, um, you know, you talked about the Arab Spring, people are using, uh, you know, social media accounts to talk about what's happening in the war, uh, you know, between Russia and uh, and Ukraine, I should say Russia's war in Ukraine. Right. Uh, so there are benefits from that. But uh, I don't think it's an overreaction to to recognize, you know, this this level of harm. And it took uh, it took politicians a while to wake up to, you know, some of those things, you know, like smoking and, you know, how do we regulate that and, 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 and things like that. But there is a there is a real, you know, social harm there. And again, sort of with a movement conservative lens, you can you can look at the, the morality, the right and wrong of these things. And it's um, it, it's it's not inconsistent to. Put a light touch regulatory regime uh, on it, but but while not you know while being cognizant of protecting those things, there's there's no industry that's that's not regulated. I mean, the the government regulates everything, whether or not they should or not, it, it is is an important question. Um, but I really think the question is, you know, how do we do this, you know, rightly and responsibly? And you know, the fact of the matter is, is you know, there's there's even there's even evidence out there that these are you know these are addictive that. Um, you know, data is collected on us, uh, sold, 
to advertisers put into an algorithm and, you know, shoved right into our bloodstream to give us a dopamine surge. I mean, that might be a little dramatic for some people, but uh, you watch, uh, you watch, you know, certain, you know, documentaries and, and, and stuff like that. Um, that's where we're at. And so, I, again, I don't think it's an overreaction. I think it's something policymakers should look at. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have to we have to really consider, uh, you know, those 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 potential harms to sort of, you know, undeveloped, uh, you know, brains and 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 the like and and really protecting folks from, right. from the harm. And you touched on the second criticism, which is, you know, what what business do small government conservatives have regulating what a private company does, you know, with willing and consenting consumers. Right. And you touched on that a little bit. And I think, you know, this this idea that we can do a light touch, you know, regulatory you know policy to both, you know, keep it you know, relatively free, you know, for adults or for, you know, consumers to use in a certain way without, but still addressing some of the, the, the harms that it does cause, um, it could be a, ba- a more balanced approach with, with a, the last kind of minute that we have left, you know, is there, you know, where, do, where does the, the reform lie? Like, are we, are we talking about state level reforms? You talked about, you know, at the, at the, you know, the AGs prosecuting these. So does that mean, you know, what we're trying is to go state by state and, and change reforms, or is there a role for the federal government here uh, to kind of, you know, put a blanket, you know, regulation or law out there for the entire country? Uh, and are there, you know, specific unique challenges with trying to do it at the federal level versus the state level? Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm a little biased because I was a former state legislator, but I'm a big states' rights guy. Uh, TPPF is a you know states' rights organization, so I think we need to look to state solutions rather than federal solutions. Um, in addition to serving as a state legislator, I I worked in Congress, uh, and uh, one states are far more effective and collegial than uh, than than Congress is. Um, and, you know, frankly, uh, Congress can't get much done. And when they do, it's pretty terrible. So I don't think we should, you know, f- I don't think we should focus on or rely on the federal government to act. Uh, states, you know, they shouldn't be frozen into inaction because they're waiting for some, you know, magical federal law to come down. It's, it's understandable. I think a lot of companies, uh, you know, in this space are pushing for a federal, you know, for example, data privacy law. Um, they're again, understandably concerned that there's this sort of patchwork of state laws out there, that there's inconsistent, uh, you know, regulatory regimes. That's not a convincing argument for me. So, um, we shouldn't focus on all these federal issues. Um, we'll, we'll talk about them occasionally section 230 in the censorship space, antitrust, you know, as I said before, sort of a, a federal preemptive data privacy bill, but, but states, have the power to act. The federal, you know, federal powers are supposed to be limited to those enumerated powers. Congress, you know, in the courts, they think you take the commerce clause and the necessary and proper clause and you can do anything. I think that's fundamentally wrong and a misreading of of the constitution. So states can and should act in this space. And in the face of, you know, federal uh, inaction, um, they should, they should, you know, step up, step up and act. Um, it's a question of, you know, it's a question of political will. Uh, it's a question of where can you find consensus and things like that. Um, but, uh, but I think that states can do that. And I think you can work together on a bipartisan basis to, to advance good policy for your citizens. And so, again, I think that the states are, are the, the better, uh, the better, 
governmental entity to do that rather than the federal government. We have been talking to Zach Whiting, who's our senior fellow at the Texas Public Policy Foundation in Technology Policy. Uh, Thank you so much for being on the show, Zach. Thanks for having me, Brian. I enjoyed it so much. Look forward to coming back sometime. And again, if you want to learn more about what Zach's writing on or any other uh, particular issues, we will cover just about everything at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. You can find all of our work at texaspolicy.com. Thanks for listening.